Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah! Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now... It's time to rock it back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 18, Drums of Death, is the host of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast, Grant Richter. Grant, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Happy to have you here. We're here to talk about Season 1, Episode 18. This aired January 16th, 1953, written by Dick Hamilton, directed by Lee Sholem. Our synopsis, Clark and Perry head to Haiti after Jimmy and Perry's photojournalist sister go missing while filming alleged voodoo practitioners. That's our setup for this episode. We'll share our overall impressions and we'll go scene by scene as we always do. But as I always like to start when I have a first time guest on the show, what is your history with Adventures of Superman? Um, very minimal, honestly. Um, like I mentioned on your other show, I only came into my Superman fandom a few years ago, but I was really, really into Superman when I was a little kid, like, you know, ages four through seven. And that was around the time that the Christopher Reeve movies were coming out and the super friends were on. And I had the Mego figures and the bed sheets and everything. And my grandma even made me like a homemade Superman costume. And I remember watching this show with my grandpa and like the, the opening is what I remember the most. I remember it being in black and white and the transition of you know, Superman to Clark and back again. And I think that was the first time I realized that Superman was an alien. When they talk about strange visitor from another planet, and that kind of blew my mind. But I think it had a really formative uh, take on my childhood Superman fandom because when I would run around in the yard in that Superman costume, I wasn't fighting the Legion of Doom or saving California from an earthquake. I was fighting like goons and bank robbers. So it must have sunk in somewhere. And I, I have not watched much of this show until you asked me to be on this, but it's it's been a very interesting experience with this episode. <laughs> Yes, yes, this is it's <laughs> an interesting one for sure. Uh, are there any are there any specific scenes or episodes, anything that 
you know, from those from those early memories that really stand out that if you think of the show, like that's just something that you instantly gravitate toward? No, not really. I mean, I vaguely remember Superman punching out like a mobster in a fedora, which is just about a, a whole lot of these episodes. So, um, like I said, I was really little. I don't remember much of it, but um, I'm, I'm having fun revisiting it. Gotcha. Oh, right on. All right. So let's talk about this episode specifically, Drums of Death. I guess just big picture. What what were your your overall impressions of this? Is this one that you have any memory of watching, or you were really coming into this one pretty cold? No, not at all. Um, this, like I messaged you privately, um, seems to be a pattern of episodes that you have me on your shows to talk about because there is some uh, some some racially maybe um, cringy <laughs> elements of this episode. Um, specifically revolving what amounts to blackface. And so it's, it's um, like I said, it was really interesting. It, it, it's in a way it's kind of funny, um, but it's, it's, it is fun. There were some, there were some things that were very fun about it. So I, I had fun watching it. Okay, good. No, I'm glad to hear that. Listen, while we're still recording and everything, but do you mind? Could you get that microphone even closer? Because I think that will uh, will will help us a little bit if you can. Even if it's kind of in in the way with the shot, don't worry about it. We just get the sound as as uh, as uh, warm as we can. Yeah, awesome, yeah. perfect. Thank you so much. So, yeah, this episode. I, I'll be honest. This was not my favorite. What I liked about it, and again, we'll go through our scene by scene discussion. But what I really liked was the setup of Clark and Perry working together and Clark having a hard time sneaking off to be Superman. That to me was the highlight of this and the thing that I enjoyed most. I also liked, we'll get to it where you see again, and this has been a little bit of a theme in these season one episodes, a more competent side to Jim Olsen. So there's a great bit with Jim where, you know, he's, you know, he kind of has his wits about him and he's ahead of the curve and he's able to give Superman some crucial information where he's essentially pretending to go along with uh, being hypnotized uh, by the quote-unquote voodoo doctor. So those were the aspects of the episode that I really, really liked. On the other hand, yes, the depiction of the native people of Haiti uh, leaves a lot to be desired. They're depicted, you know, again, just, I guess, primitive in a more primitive uh, state, you know, not necessarily a particularly, you know, a nuanced depiction of the people, and yes, we do have this use of the, you know, the equivalent of blackface. Now, we did a recent episode on Treasure of the Incas, and I, I sort of addressed this here, and I'll just like quickly kind of recap it again. You know, there are instances, you know, I mean, in anything that you look at, but this show in particular that we're talking about, there are instances where, uh, again, we run into issues like this, whether it's, you know, depictions of certain, of certain groups or something like the use of blackface specifically, that, of course, would not fly today and, and shouldn't fly uh, we recognize, you know, sort of the the time and the context in which these things were made. Sort of my position on this is, you know, is to acknowledge, right? Not to, not to sort of absolve or condemn, but just to acknowledge that this was this this was what it was. But yes, you were on my other show, digging for Kryptonite, talking about the Clan of the Fiery Cross uh, radio serial and Superman smashes the Clan. So yeah, I guess we do have a little bit of a theme going here on the on, on these shows. But you know, the 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 blackface aside, I mean. The thing that I suppose was most infuriating about this episode 
is not to spoil the whole thing, but I, I feel like we just kind of have to address it at the top here is that one of the, uh, the, the American guides on the Island, William Johnson, a, a white, a white man, uh, he's ultimately revealed to be the, again, quote unquote, voodoo doctor. And he has used, as we've been saying, the equivalent of blackface to, uh, to disguise himself. It is baffling to me that no one recognizes him. I feel like the way that this unfolded, it just it just stretches any sort of credulity. It was really tough to get past that. Yeah, when when he walks on, uh, not in disguise, when he just walks into their hotel room in his his jungle adventure outfit, not in his makeup, I'm like, oh, well, there's the there's the quote unquote voodoo doctor from the opening scene and makeup technology in the 1950s must have been amazing. That's all I can figure out for them to not recognize this guy. Um, and I will, you know, and we'll get into it, but I don't know how the actual natives who were actually played by black people, you know, how the characters either they were in on a scam or they didn't recognize that this guy was white. I don't know if they were co-conspirators or if they were being duped. And that's something I'll get into when we get more, I guess, towards the end of the episode. Yes, that is a <laughs> that is a great question uh, that I, I think this episode begs. And, you know, it's funny because I've been I think I've been very generous when we've been talking on the show about kind of the limitations of the day, specifically when it comes to I think the most frequent instance of this is when it's been very clear that it's Superman's stuntman. George Reeves a stuntman and not George Reeves himself, right? In a scene, something like that. And like I always say, look, this was this was made in the 50s. People were watching this on a small, grainy black and white television. They weren't pausing it, they weren't rewinding it. You know, it was made for a young audience. There's no there's no sense that it would ever be consumed the way we're consuming things now where these things stick out like a sore thumb. So I'm always very you know, I think pretty generous when it comes to that. Like that sort of stuff doesn't take me out of it or doesn't bother me. And if anything, there's kind of like a, a charm to it. With this, yeah. I think you can, maybe you can make some of those same arguments, but at the same time, this, maybe it just comes down to casting because I feel like this actor had a very, had a very distinct face and features and, and nose yes. in particular. And on top of that, they spent, they featured him so prominently in the scene in the, you know, in the, in the hotel, I suppose, with Clark and Perry and, and, um, and, and the Haitian official who's with them. So there's so much time where you're looking at this guy. And I guess the counter argument is the, the show probably wanted to make it clear for the, you know, they, they didn't want to sort of run the risk that when this reveal happened, people would be like, oh, who is that? But I think they overshot the mark. There was just too much time on this guy's face without his disguise that it's the fact that no one recognizes him later is just, I, I can't, I can't buy it. Well, I, I, the one way, and if you're really headcanning it, though, I think it works, is that Superman doesn't see the, the whatever his, his voodoo doctor nickname was until the very, very end. Because in the middle of the episode, when he sees him, he's kind of he's hiding around the corner for some reason, and he doesn't see him until the very end. So I guess it's feasible that maybe Superman wouldn't make the connection. He's like, Oh yeah, you're, you're obviously that guy, but Perry sees him and doesn't call him out as William Johnson. So I guess it does kind of fall apart. I'm, I'm trying really hard to help the show out. And 
I'm, I'm not making a whole lot of progress. Yeah. And I, and, and look, especially for the real, you know, the real hardcore fans the people who grew up watching this and, and everything. I, again, I, I don't say this to, you know, to, to dump on the show, but it's just, again, I feel like there's a range of these things and then certain aspects and other episodes where we can sort of reconcile it. Like, okay. I get why, why they, why they did that. But here it was just, this was just really tough. I, I will say though, on the, on the note of, of the blackface, in, in fairness to the show, like when we're talking about, again, so the voodoo doctor is Legbu, I think is, is what they call him, uh, who's really William Johnson. It's not like the show, you know, the point of the episode, right, is that this guy is disguising himself using blackface. Now, still, you would still not do that today, right? But I guess just right. in fairness to the show, um, it wasn't as if they were simply trying to, um, you know, pass this actor off right in in, in, in right. that sense but again we still wouldn't see this today and to be really really generous they never say when they see him in the on the photograph in the beginning and on the video in the beginning they never say he's supposed to be black they never say he's supposed to be haitian they just say he's a voodoo witch doctor now <laughs> And there are other black actors in the episode, some of which play characters who are very well educated and very successful. And so it's, I don't get the feeling that the episode was trying to denigrate black people in general. So, you know, maybe he's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably trying to wait. I'm trying, trying to give the show way too much credit, but maybe it's possible they weren't, He's not trying to pass himself off as black. He is just supposed to be an obvious disguise. I don't know. It's. I, I suppose. I, I, I don't, yeah. And, and, you know, also too, I was saying before about kind of the, just the depiction of the Haitians themselves in this and, you know, in fairness, Mr. Bergeret, right. Does not fall into, you know, the, the, the depiction that, that the rest of them do. Right. He, you know, he's the one who's the, you know, the local official who's liaising with them and, uh, they make the point of saying that he had gone to Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, gone to Harvard. And then, then we get the prints and so. Yeah, but exactly. still. Y- yes, again, uh, like like we said, well, a lot has changed. But yes, in fairness to the show, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here. Uh, so I, I just, just to put that out there as well. So, okay. Let us now go scene by scene through Drums of Death. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. 
On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. So we open in Perry's office as Clark and Perry are watching uh, footage uh, shot by Perry's sister, Kate. Which, you know, I, I don't know offhand if this character reappears in other episodes. We'll keep an eye out. I suspect maybe not. But, no. but nice, cool angle here that Perry has the sister who's a photojournalist and she's on assignment in Haiti uh, investigating these, you know, purported voodoo practitioners and so we see this footage of the, the voodoo doctor who clearly sees that he's, you know, that he's being filmed. And then Perry explains that, you know, some time has passed. Uh, both his sister and Jim are in Haiti. Uh, there's been no word of them. You know, Perry's concerned. And this kind of sets off what I was saying before, where Clark is quick to say, well, why don't I fly down to investigate? And Perry's like, well, I have two tickets, uh, uh, you know, on, on the plane for us. And there's this, there's this great back and forth where, Perry's like, I can make my own decisions. And Clark's like, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't that's get that. very funny. I was just, he just goes, nothing, nothing, chief. Um, there is, uh, in addition to talking about the, the fiery plan uh, radio uh, arc with you, I'm uh, Tyler and I from Krypton Report have been planning to cover the the radio version of the Adam Man storyline. That just keeps getting put off, put off, and eventually we'll get around to it. But that is an ongoing theme in that too, is that Perry is almost comic relief where he's constantly in the way. Like Clark gets sick from kryptonite poisoning, so Perry takes him half-conscious down to Florida on a two-week vacation, and so there's a there's a whole thing where it's either Perry or Lois or somebody just insists on tagging along to uh, prevent Clark from becoming Superman. Nice. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's a really fun dynamic and, you know, again, it challenges Clark in a little different way. And I, and I also like, you know, it's one thing we see a lot of, of Lois and Clark investigating, but this, the Perry and Clark pairing, I think is really a nice, uh, a, a nice way to sort of switch it up. And, you know, Perry's out in the field here. I mean, it, that, like that aspect of it is pretty cool because in most instances, right, he's confined to his office. So this is not the first or last instance where he's, where he's out there. But, you know, this is definitely a key one. And I, I really did, I, I really did, uh, I dug that aspect of it. And I, I, I was very amused uh, at the end where Perry tells Clark, you know, go home and pack quickly because our flight's in 55 minutes. So Five minutes, yeah. Um. I, and when I, I did some calculations on this, Perry says he spent over $200 on phone calls to Haiti. That comes out to over $2,200 today. So Perry's been making some really expensive phone calls. 
He has. Well, as we've seen, though, this was a different time. And I feel like the Daily Planet's budget could accommodate that. I feel like, you know, in, in today's world, that would really, that would be very hard to justify uh, that sort of expense. <laughs> but <laughs> I think they were pretty flush then. But so we now uh, follow Clark and Perry to Haiti. We have a, a pretty lengthy scene here. We have people coming in and out where and Clark and Perry are talking with uh, Mr. Bergeret and Clark, you know, is, is another instance here. Clark is is pretty quick within the scene to want to sort of go out and investigate and try to find them. And uh, you know, despite the dangers that Mister Bergeret has 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 conveyed, and Perry's quick to shut him down. And I love the look the, the look that George Reeves has on his face when he like turns around to sit down. I just thought it was great. Um, yeah, it's very funny. Um, did you get the impression? And it's never really clarified by the end of the episode. Did you get the impression that Monsieur Bergeret is maybe not in on it, but he's hindering their investigation? Like he, he's not being entirely forthcoming with everything he's got. I don't know. I, I had, I did have the suspicion and I feel like it's hard to, I mean, based on what they show us, I think he's on the up and up, but when you sort of just look at these episodes in, in total and just kind of the typical patterns and formulas that we fall into, you would expect, you know, you expect it to be in on it to some extent or, or to your point, I mean, maybe if not fully in on it, not as cooperative as maybe he's purporting to be. Although then he flies Clark yeah. to, you know, to another Island to have the, to have the handkerchief analyzed. So I don't know. I think he's, I think he's yeah. on the up and up all, all in all. The, the, the way I read it, the first time I, I watched it is that he wants to solve this case, but he wants to keep it an in either wants to keep it an internal matter or he wants to stay clear of voodoo. And if voodoo's involved, they just don't touch it. But I, I don't know. It's a lot of this episode is very contradictory is which almost frustrates me more than, you know, the issue with Lagumbo. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, well, we'll continue tracking that as, you know, as we make our way through here. But, you know, Bergeret talks about two two people, William Johnson and uh, Leland Masters, two guides who could potentially take them out into the, the you know, the in, into the area to kind of look for uh, the sister and Jim. And while all of this is going on, we have these communicative drum beats like we're hearing this drumming right and and you know we're understanding that there are messages that are being conveyed uh through through these through these beats but it definitely gives the the, the scene some uh, uh some atmosphere i felt yeah um i don't necessarily know that it's good atmosphere it is it is rough to watch um like for example my wife loves old sitcoms and she decided she was going to have my daughter watch Gilligan's Island with her. We we tried getting all the way through the first season and about every other episode, there's something like really, really racially cringy in it. And this had that feeling. I'm like, okay, you know, at least, yes, you got real black actors. It's not the whole, you know, slew of actors, especially black characters, aren't people in blackface, but that is a, um, that is, I don't know. It, it it made me uncomfortable with the 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 stereotypes that they had them play. Yes. No, I understand. I don't. You know, I don't disagree. I think that's one of the things. That's, you know, this is, and I would say in this season one in particular, this is probably 
the most egregious example of, you know, of what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, again, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's unfortunate. Again, we wouldn't see that play out the same way today. And yeah, I mean, it does through, you know, especially through modern eyes watching this, it definitely, you know, it does definitely take you out of it. No doubt. But we then have, could, yeah, no, go ahead. It could, sorry. It, it could have been much, much worse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, of course. So we have William Johnson enter. And uh, again, we spent, this is again, what I'm saying, like we spent a lot of time with him here in this scene and you see him a lot. And like I said, I guess it's, you know, they want to forge the connection so that you have that payoff later. But again, I just feel like they went too far and we spent too much time with him and there was no surprise to be had later. I mean, I actually, I would really be curious because like I said, I, I guess the argument is for, you know, that time people are watching it on, you know, in, in a lower quality, Right. And, and aimed at a younger audience and all of that. Like I would be curious to know from from our audience, for anyone who you know like grew up watching this, and and if you have a memory of it, were were you surprised? Because as I'm watching this, I'm saying even even on a small black and white TV, even as a kid in the 50s or 60s, whenever it is that you watch this, I, I still feel like virtually anyone watching this would be able to put these two guys together. So I, I actually to our audience, I would pose that question. I'd be curious to know. If if people were surprised by this, it's 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 hard to foresee that, but but maybe the the one the way I can forgive that is taking into account how mysteries work in modern television versus say like as far as the seventies, like Columbo. At the beginning of a Columbo episode, you are presented as you the audience, you are watching the murder take place, and then throughout the episode, you're watching Columbo figure it out, or you know even like. More currently, the show um, Poker Face with Natasha Lyonne, which is very much a love letter to Columbo. So I, I can that part I'm, I can forgive. You know, it, it's not. I don't think it's intended to be a mystery for the audience. I think we're supposed to. We're waiting to see how Clark and Perry figure it out. Oh, maybe. Okay. Fair enough, but I yeah. But it's still just too frustrating that they that they don't. But anyway, I don't want to belabor the point. I've 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 said my piece on this. But I fair. But yeah, that's a fair. Maybe that's a fair way of looking at it, where it wasn't necessarily meant to trick the audience, but rather we're just waiting for our characters to catch up. But anyway, William Johnson, he's really not having this right. Whether he believes in voodoo or not, he believes in the poisons and and all of that. So he's you know he's he's not he's not keen to take this on, but. Clark, of course, using his enhanced senses, uh, knows that there's someone outside who's been listening in on that. And that introduces us to uh, Masters, this other uh, potential guide who is willing to take them out. So we get our setup for that. And and then we have yet another another instance of, the, the again, this, this Clark-Perry dynamic that I love where Perry wants to go over the maps for the next day. They're going to meet Leland Masters at like 7.30 in the morning. Perry wants to go over all the maps. And Clark's like, I want to take, I want to go to sleep. And, you know, Perry's great here because he's like, one minute ago you wanted to go out and search for them. Now you want to go to sleep. Like, what's the matter with you, Kent? Which <laughs> I just thought was great. That's my favorite part. One of the things I really liked about that is, you know, like you've said on this show, this is not a wimpy Clark. And so Clark doesn't try to make lame excuses. He doesn't go, oh, I'm sick or, oh, I'm afraid. He just goes, I don't want to. You know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. And the next day he's like, I'm going to stay here. And he just doesn't, he just doesn't mess around with it. He doesn't try to make himself come across as a weak coward. Like we would see in the, you know, in the silver age, it's, it's refreshing. It is. It really, it absolutely is. 
And he also, again, picks up this very important clue of the handkerchief and he's smelling it. And so we, you know, we know he's suspicious about something and that will continue to, to play out. So he sneaks out of there, changes into Superman. It's stock footage. You know, it looks like the typical storeroom that he's flying out of, but whatever, we'll go with it. And so he very quickly finds the, the hideout where Legbu, this, this voodoo doctor is, and uses his x-ray vision and his, and his hearing to observe this discussion, interrogation between the Legbu and, and Perry's sister. And, you know, and again, you quickly get the sense that she's under, you know, she's in some sort of state, right? It's, you know, initially kind of talked about as being hypnotism, but, you know, Superman is, you know, uh, suspicious of that and, you know, uh, correctly ascertains that we're, we're talking about, you know, that she had been drugged. And then there's this discussion of tea she had had when we learn when, when we talk to Jim a little bit later. But, uh, you know, so we see this, this interrogate, was there anything about the interrogation that stood out to you? As far as uh, Lagumbo interrogating uh, Perry's sister, there were two things I thought were really funny. Um, the fact that the chains she's wearing are made out of paper, and he's either hypno-drugged her into thinking that they're made out of iron. And <laughs> I had two thoughts. One is that did they not have the budget for real chains? And two, the other thing I thought was this paper is a gift from he who holds all chains oh. <laughs> from the war world. From the War World saga, yeah, in the in the recent action comic story. No, my chains. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, you know the paper chains. I, I, I chalk that up to more just trying to show, again, that she's in this altered state. I, I think they they could have. I think they could have cobbled together something to approximate Iron Chains if they yeah. wanted. To. As as low budget as this was, I feel like yeah, this was more meant to you know, to kind of show, I mean, the fact that she thinks these are real, right. That kind of takes us into different territory. And, and that leads to, I, I did, th- I did think it was clever. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just taking the fun out of the show. <laughs> no, no, no. All good. But you know, that leads to I, another scene that I actually really did like between Superman and Kate white, where, you know, he is in her cell and he's, you know, trying to get through to her and explain to her that, no, these are, these are just paper and she's just not having it. Right. She is convinced of this. And, you know, you see in this scene, as much as we talk a lot on the show about both Clark and Superman being very tough, being very impatient, you do see, and this is not the only instance, especially when Clark, when Superman is, is interacting with, with women and children. And we see this a lot. You see this tender side, you know, he's a lot softer, he's calmer, and it's just cool to see these different shades of the character. And so, you know, whenever we kind of get a moment to access that, I really like this. I like I like how, again, kind of a caring and tender he was in that moment as he was still a little frustrated that <laughs> he wasn't snapping out of it. But uh, I like that. I do like that a lot. Um, and as little Silver Age as I've read, the, you know, what I've kind of absorbed through, you know, cultural osmosis is that, Silver Age Superman wasn't always, you know, the the tenderest guy. He could be a little short, like with women. And you know, I, I really like this. I, I get much more of a Golden Age feel from this Superman, which I I really appreciate. I'm, you know, I really like Golden Age Superman. I really like Earth Two Superman. So I, I really really did appreciate that. Right on. Yeah, it was. I think this was a great. Uh, this was definitely a great moment. And then from there, Superman finds Jim digging in the caves. And like I said, I thought this was a great moment for Jim where, 
you know, he's sort of robotically digging and then he sees Superman and, I, you know, I guess Superman is assuming that Jim is under the same altered state as Kate and we quickly find out that Jim is not and he explains that, you know, she had this tea but he didn't drink it and then he saw the way, you know, it was affecting her and, and he just decided to go along with it. So the fact that Jim, you know, Jim has this ruse going, right, in order to keep himself safe and figure out what's going on, I thought was a really nice touch for this character who, you know, again, especially as the show goes on, becomes just more and more of the, you know, comic relief. But I, I really like this side. I did like this Jimmy. Um, I have not seen this Jimmy before in, in recent times. He he looks like he could be a character on a mid 2000 CW show. He looks great. I love the jacket. I love the hair, the whole thing. I, he's very clever playing along. I was confused by the comment about the tea because he said they had the tea at Bergeret's. And so I think Jimmy is implying that Bergeret's in on it, but then there could also be maybe that Johnson, you know, snuck in and they were all having tea together and, you know, put, you know, hypno dust in their tea, whatever. And that frustrated me that that's never followed up on. That feels like a red herring. It's either, you know, a Chekhov's tea that we don't get a follow up on or a complete red herring that we also don't get a follow up on. Because later at the end of the episode, they're all sitting around Bergeret's having tea again. That is true. I know that does feel like uh, sort of a, a thread that never gets followed up on or, or that we really get a closure on. But that's a good, good catch. The thing that really got me in this scene was the, the voodoo doctor shows up, right? And Superman, you know, kind of runs off to the side, like we were saying before. So, you know, he's not seeing what's going on, but he's hearing everything. And, you know, there's this exchange between them and like Boo is, you know, ordering Jim to keep digging and, and all of that. And, you know, there's information that he's trying to get out of Kate. I mean, what we ultimately find out is there's this treasure that he's in search of. And, uh, you know, he saw Kate taking photos in the temple where it's alleged to be located. And so he thinks she knows something about it, right? Like that's ultimately what's, what this is all about is this treasure that he's trying to get. So he has this exchange with Jim and then walks away and then Superman comes back. And I mean, this, I don't know, like this drove me nuts because poor Jim towards the end of the scene is like well yeah. like aren't you gonna take me with you it's just like no not until i find out who's behind all this but that guy's behind it that guy right over there that's the thing so even putting aside it to your earlier point okay maybe he's not actually watching this and he doesn't see you know maybe if he saw he yeah. would very quickly recognize it's william johnson but he's not watching that's fine but still he knows that the guy who is behind this just walked away. I, I really had a hard time with this. Yeah. I, I feel like, and I know I'm being very critical of the episode and I'm, I'm trying not to be, but I feel like the writers wrote themselves into a corner a few different times. And I feel like that's one of them. I feel like there's like, okay, well, Superman's in the hideout and there's Jimmy and, and there's Perry's sister and he could rescue them right now and stop the bad guy. But we still have 10 more episodes, 10 more minutes of the show we need to do. So just have Superman say he's going to come back later. Then like, eh. love it. I feel like if they had, if they had made it that, you know, he, I don't know. It's like it, it maybe if Kate's location were still a question mark to some extent, mm -hmm. Or something. I mean, I don't know. I feel like there are ways they could have, you know, they could have gotten around this to at least account for this. I mean, it ultimately just kind of seems to play as, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's really, like, <laughs> I was going to say, like, there's clearly 
Clark, right? He has that handkerchief and something's up with that. And so maybe he's put enough of the pieces together, right? Like where he, he wants to figure this out. But at the same time, it's like, mm-hmm. just grab the guy and you'll figure it out. So. I feel like a, a really easy workaround they could have done is Perry's sister was so hypnotized or drugged that she didn't want to leave. So he didn't feel like he could take her, that she felt like she maybe she'd go into some kind of psychosomatic shock or something. And if he left with Jimmy, then, you know, Legboo would know that something's up and maybe hurt Perry's sister. But if he just said that, well, I have to leave you here because if, if you're gone, Perry's sister might get hurt. That, that would have, would have tidied it up a little bit. Yes. Yes. That would have gone a long way. I, I, well, we still have a few more scenes to get through, but I did just want to mention uh, as far as guest star alerts, because there's one, one uh, piece in particular that I was uh, particularly struck by, which is uh, William Johnson is played by an actor named Henry Corden, who would go on to be the voice of Fred Flintstone. No, wow! I did not know that. That's really funny. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten in the habit and I know, even even as I'm doing this, I'm sure there uh, I'm missing things, but I, I am looking everyone up on IMDb and and seeing if there's anything that like really stands out, and that was that was definitely one of them. So that was a cool a cool tidbit. Uh, we have Mabel Albertson as Kate White, uh, Milton Wood as Mr. Bergeret, and uh, Leonard Moody as Leland Masters. Those were our key guest stars. But but yeah, Henry Corden, voice of Fred Flintstone. There you go. Very cool. Yeah. So from there. We cut to the next morning and, you know, Perry's ready to go on this expedition, searching for Kate and Jim and Clark gets out of it, right? He talks about how he wants to, he's meeting up with Mr. Bergeret. He wants to have this handkerchief analyzed. And, and again, he, you know, Perry makes a a crack like, oh, you want to stay here where it's safe. So this is something we've been tracking in these various episodes because there are a lot of, a lot of digs at Clark along these lines of him being cowardly. And as I always say, a lot of times it feels like they're saying it, but what we're seeing from Clark is very different. Uh, yet I think this is a good example where you could understand why, you know, Perry would ascribe cowardice to what he's seeing from Clark. Like Perry's ready. He's in his jungle outfit and he's like, you're going to go into the jungle looking like that. So uh, I, I appreciate it. That, that went a long way, I think, towards accounting for some of the remarks that have been made toward and about Clark. Right. And I've, I've thought about that a lot as I listen to your show about how Clark comes across as, as very manly, very tough, but he's constantly accused of being a coward for being thoughtful almost and and or diplomatic. And I have to wonder if that just comes into like a 1950s idea of what masculinity should be just because i know how my grandpa is who's still alive and i know how he was you know when he was younger so you know maybe (laughs) yeah maybe i think that's that's fair i mean it's it's funny because again there's a lot of this clark that i think does fall into maybe what you would think of as being masculine in this time. Like, again, that's, you know, very direct, very straightforward, like very quick, very, I, again, the impatient is the word I like always come back to, but just like a very strong, uh, you know, kind of forward character. But yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, sort of his, that thoughtfulness, that thinking outside the box, that, you know, cause there are a lot of instances where, you know, he's giving someone the benefit of the doubt or he's looking at it from a different angle and kind of not going along with the program. Right. Yeah. Especially in Perry's office, right? Like Perry has a very clear view of what he thinks is going on. 
and Clark kind of poking holes in that doesn't fit in with, you know, Perry's vision. And so, uh, yeah, maybe that, that, that kind of thoughtfulness, um, yeah, maybe that does help account for that as well. I like that. Yeah. I picked that up in listening to the radio show because there's a lot of instances where Clark will know something because he's Superman and he's trying to tell everybody, he's like, look, you know, kryptonite, it can hurt Superman. Well, how do you know? And he does, he never comes out and says, because Superman told me, he just, well, I just know I need you to trust me. And someone will say, well, I say that's nonsense. And Clark will say, well, I tell you it's true. And they'll go, I tell you it's not. And they just drop it. And so it's this weird kind of skepticism that I don't know if is, is a plot device or just how people really were back then. And it, like you said, maybe his open-mindedness is seen as a weakness. I suppose. But in any event, Clark goes off with Mr. Bergeret. They fly uh, to this lab to have the handkerchief analyzed. Uh, I forget the exact... I know I'm jumping around these couple of scenes a little bit, but uh, when the doctor reveals sort of what, what he found, I forget offhand what the substances were. Do you, do you remember by any chance? No, I don't. One of them was cocoa butter and, but the, the other two, I completely forget. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, like it wasn't, acetate. yeah, it wasn't like, Oh shoot, like yeah. shoe polish, but it was the, the ingredients that again would account for uh, Johnson's disguise here. And of course, Clark doesn't wait for Bergeret just, you know, zips out of there and we'll circle back to him in a moment. But meanwhile, Perry and Masters have been captured uh, by the Haitians and brought to uh, brought to Johnson. And again, here, this is where really stretching the suspension of disbelief. They still don't recognize him. You know, Masters is placed in one cell. Uh, Jim, uh, Perry, and the sister are placed in another with that grape press, uh, right, that will, will mm-hmm. s- squeeze them to death. Um, do you want to talk more about what you were saying before as far as what the Haitians who are working with Johnson might be thinking or during all of this? Yeah, I don't know. My 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 headcanon of it is they were in on the scam. Is that, you know, he hasn't tricked them into thinking that he's really a native. You know, one, he's he's wearing a headdress that looks like you would see on a Native American, you know, quote unquote witch doctor in the old cowboy movie, which just made my head hurt. Um but yeah, I don't I don't think that the characters are supposed to be tricked by his by his get up. I think it's it's all a very Scooby Doo kind of thing. You know, there's some kind of treasure that they're trying to scare everybody off by dressing up as something spooky, quote unquote. And I I, I think just they are his assistants that he's hired to help him get the job done. Um, but again, it's it's never addressed. So that's just my guess. Oh, I also wonder. Because Bergeret makes that point early on about how voodoo's not practiced in Haiti anymore, right? Except in, you know, in secret and, you know, and he talks about sort of the, you know, the, the kind of people who would still, you know, who would still believe in that, right? And so, yeah, you do kind of wonder, did Johnson find the few remaining voodoo practitioners? Or, again, is this just all kind of, like, they are actual native to the island as opposed to him, but like that they're not, uh, that they're not actually in on all of that, on the, on the voodoo yeah. part, but that they're in on the plot. Right. Yeah. It's implied that they are at least practitioners because they, they speak the, the drum language, you know, it's like boom, 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 boom. What's he saying? You know, Burge Ray's talking to two white guys. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, what I, what I am still curious about having watched the episode three times is whether or not masters is in on it because when he's leading Perry through the jungle, he gets his fork under it. He's like, well, we can do one of two things. We can go into town or 
we can go to the Citadel where voodoo used to be practiced, but I don't think we should do that. And Perry's like, well, obviously we need to go do this. So it feels like he's leading Perry like by the nose, like he's steering him without appearing to steer him. And then when they get there and Perry and Jimmy and Perry's sister get put in the wine press, Dr. Masters gets put in his own special little room. And the first thing they'll say when they get rescued is Perry goes, you're in on it. Masters goes, no, I'm not. And they go, okay. So I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the resolution of that is. Also, too, we we when we met Masters, those are all great points. And you know, when we met Masters, he's eavesdropping, right? He's saying it's it is hard to believe, even if he's not in on it, it's hard to believe he doesn't know. Yeah. Like my when he originally showed up, my theory is he's looking for the treasure too. He's Matt, he's Johnson's rival, and he wants he wants Johnson to get busted so he can find the treasure himself. But then I don't understand why why Johnson would stick him in his own little room instead of sticking him in the great press. Plus I got to talk about the great press. Go for it. That is a great press. <laughs> Cause it's, it's like one wall with just bars. I was like, well, the grape juice would not go down the little hole in the floor. The grape juice would go out the, <laughs> the not wall. So <laughs> I just thought that was funny. <laughs> they called it a great press, but I liked it. I, I love things like that. You know, I'm waiting for, uh, you know, Willie, the the nightclub dancer from from Temple of Doom, to reach her hand in a hole full of bugs to pull a switch to stop the room from crushing Indiana Jones. You know, I I love that kind of stuff. But I th- thought it was called a great press. It was funny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. No. That that's that is a good catch. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny though with Master, whether it's Masters or Bergeret, I feel like that could have redeemed this episode a little bit. Because the Johnsons thing is just so obvious that if we had had, uh, you know, a secondary twist that one of the others had been in on it or something like that, I mean that that could have that could have helped a little bit. I I would have appreciated something along those lines, but we don't get it. It's left to our speculation. But you know, you bring up a few good points, a few good things that kind of point to, you know, maybe something else going on there. I again, I really where I ultimately land is I feel like definitely Masters and maybe even Bergeret, but definitely Masters at a minimum, no. I mean, that's kind of what, what I'm kind of, that'll be my headcanon for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. He, he definitely knows what's going on. He definitely knows about the scam that Johnson's putting on just whether or not he's in on it is, is still up in the air for sure. So Superman arrives and makes the big rescue. And I love to, you know, one of the other things we've been tracking is you know, what do people know who Superman is? And I, I think it's Masters who's like, who's that? And Jim's like, that's Superman, you know? And again, we're still early days in Superman here. So maybe word hasn't gotten around everywhere yet, uh, you know, just yet about who this guy is. And of course, you know, he rescues them from the wine press and all that. And, and you know, very, you know, roughly uh, wipes <laughs> wipes the uh, the makeup off of Johnson's face. And, you know, he he stands revealed. Again, it's not, 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 not to keep harping on this, but you know, it doesn't really pack much of a punch (laughs) because it felt so obvious, but we we get there and Perry does have, I do love this line where Perry's like, you're going to do plenty of digging in prison uh, if you want to dig for treasure. So (laughs) at least we get that bit. Um, I was disappointed. We never get to see the treasure. I, I, I want to know, does the treasure exist? Is it just a legend? Um, we don't, we don't know. It's like, well, we didn't find the treasure. Oh, well, let's go back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, 
Finds a treasure, donates the money to an orphanage. That would have been great. I would love that, but not so much. I know that is very true. Yeah, there's again. I think a lot of times with these episodes, I, I always kind of think like to speculate about the the between the scenes or the after the episode. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what happens here? So I, I think there there are some interesting avenues that I think maybe could have helped amplify this a little bit. And then we get our, our little wrap up scene with, uh, you know, Perry's sister now all cleaned up. They're all having uh, tea that's not been drugged. And, mm-hmm. you know, poor Berger. I mean, this is poor Berger. He flies Clark, right? Flies Clark to this lab and then gets ditched by him. And then is shocked that Clark somehow beat him back and asked, how did you get back here so fast? And we get, I mean, just the classic quintessential George Reeves. I flew and we get the wink right at us, which mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've been talking about this. What did you think about the little button to this episode and the way he answers this question? I love the wink. Um, I love that. I love the ambiguity of his answer. I've always liked that. You know, it goes back to, to the cart, to the Fleischer cartoon. It goes to the radio show. He's always, you know, implying something that has a, a double meaning to it as a way of not really explaining himself, but you know, I, I think he kind of, he wants to share his secret, but he knows he can't. So he likes to kind of tease. I think it's fun. Yeah. I'm on board with this, uh, sort of this in your face approach to his secret where, you know, he could have, you know, he could have come up with something, but it's just like, Oh, I flew. And yeah, it has a double meaning. And it's just like, you know, it's, he's, he doesn't really go to great lengths to try to hide it. And yet it seems to like that works in its own way. Uh, so I, I, I've come to, I've come to appreciate that. Yeah. So I thought that was, he gets to play. And that's our, I mean, that's our episode. I mean, that's drums of death. Um, was there, before we give our final rating of the episode, was there any aspect of this episode? You watched it three times. Which I really do appreciate. Uh, was there anything else about this episode we didn't talk about that you wanted to? Um, I, I thought it was really, really funny. Like you said, this was being viewed on a smaller television. There was a much grainier uh, feed back in the day, but when Superman rips the bars on the, on the trap, they, they kind of flop around like rubber. I thought that was really funny. Um, but yeah, other than that, just this, the, the ambiguity of the, of the episode and how much is not really explained. Um, and again, you know, this, this show was for kids, I assume. Um, and so they probably didn't feel the need to go into as much of a explanation of things, but I, I wish they had, and that would have been, that would have been nice. But other than that, it, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, look again, I, I, I'm not too hot on this episode. I think we, we went through this a little bit faster than I feel like we normally do in other episodes. And that's probably for, I enjoyed the conversation, but yeah, I mean, this episode, I, I really, I didn't love other than the, the, the Clark and Perry dynamic really. And that scene where you see Superman's tender side and Jim's moment in the cave. So there were a few things that I really, really liked about this, but a lot that just, that, that just didn't land and was kind of frustrating in, in a way beyond, you know, look, every episode we talk about, there are always things where it's like, oh, why they do this? Why do they do that? But, you know, for the most part, it's nothing that like so takes me out of the episode. Then this kind of did. So as I always say, if anyone out there loves drums of death, awesome, right on, love drums of death. I mean, I'm not trying to talk anyone out of it, but for me, this, this one was a little tough, but still, still watchable, still yeah. enjoyable. What, uh, on a scale of one to five fedoras, Grant, what would you give this one? 
I, I do want to throw in one other thought I had before I get into that. Um, what you're saying about how Masters didn't recognize Superman, it, much like the way a, a lot of Grant Morrison's work isn't necessarily in the same continuity, but they're kind of spiritual successors of each other. I see this as a spiritual successor to the radio show, much the way the radio show was a successor to the Fleischer cartoon and possibly vice versa. In the radio show, almost no, everybody knew who Superman was, but almost nobody knew what he looked like. You know, and that was a little more explainable back in the day because TVs hadn't been invented yet. But I still think at this point, TVs weren't necessarily in every household. And so, you know, I think you still probably had to go to like a cinema to see newsreels to get the news. So I can kind of headcanon that masters and a lot of people in general wouldn't recognize Superman on site. Um, but that, that's my only thought on that out of five. I give this one a two. This is, this was like you said, the Perry scenes were fun. I really like Jimmy. The lady who plays Perry's sister, she's got a great, like, classic Universal Monsters damsel scream. Like, when the when the great press is starting to close on her, she just belts out one. It's a great scream. Um, but, yeah, I think the 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 racially cringy stuff and the, the ambiguity of some of the plot elements really, I can't go higher than that. And I think I'm being generous with giving it a two. It, this is a two for me as well. I, I agree. I think that's, that's where I land on this. So twos for both of us, two fedoras. So Grant, where would you like to direct people if they want to check out your podcast? Um, if they would like to hear me talk about Superman more, I would love it if they would check out Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I talk about the modern era of Superman comics beginning with Convergence and moving forward. I am currently... Just at the very beginning of Dark Knight's Metal, and I'm in the middle of the Revenge story arc from Action Comics. I put out an episode almost every week, and uh, if you want to hear me talk about Superman comics, please check that out. It's it's anchor.fm slash truth, justice, and hope. But again, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Well, I hope people will check that out. I thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I'm glad that you were willing to, you know, to, to watch an episode of this. It's great. Especially if you hadn't been, you know, hadn't been uh, in the adventures of Superman mode for a while. I appreciate you coming along for this audience. Thank you as always. I really appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you come back in two weeks for our next all new episode. We're really winding down now in season one. This was drums of death was the last episode on disc three of the DVD set. So we really have, Essentially one more disc, and then the last disc is just the two-part uh, Unknown People, uh, the television uh, cuts of the Superman in the Moment movie. But in any event, we're, we're kind of in the home stretch now. It's been a lot of fun. I hope people have been enjoying. I've certainly been enjoying. And I look forward to getting through this last batch of episodes. So just remember, adventures await. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.